Hello and welcome to Cycling Talk with me, Georgia Mahoney. Today we have Helen Wyman. Hi Helen. Hi, are you alright? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Life is quite sweaty here in Munich at the minute and uh, quite hectic as well because of this one and the dog that will probably walk backwards behind us at certain points. <laughs> so how did you get into cycling? Um, well, when I was little, my parents used to take us on cycling holidays all the time. So they didn't have loads of money. And so basically it was a cheap way to get us out and around the countryside in England. And um, my dad used to ride a bike from when he was a kid. And my mum basically did it because we did. And then when I was 14, um, I was out riding with my dad and my brother. And we met a guy from the local cycling club from Kings Lynn CC. And he said, why don't you come down and see what competitive cycling's like? Um, and we did. And because my brother wanted to race, I wanted to do everything he did. Um, and yeah, I carried on and he didn't. <laughs> what do you think your first cycling memory was? Obviously, was there anything that you remember before going on those bike rides with your family? Um, well, when I was really little, my parents had a tandem and my brother was on the back of it. And then I was on the child seat on the back of that. And apparently I used to shout at them all the time to go faster. It is it's probably true. Um, obviously, I don't really remember that. But I do remember um, my parents taking me to learn to ride on my own. Back then, we didn't have scoot bikes. I don't know. I don't know why. But yeah, we didn't really have scoot bikes. So um, my first bike, I learned to ride in St. Albans in the park. Um, and I don't really remember much else other than just realizing that my parents let go. <laughs> and I was still going in a straight line and wasn't crashing. So that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, most of the memories are from cycling holidays and things like that. And we used to go on this amazing cycling holiday, um, in the new forest and the CTC hired this campsite for a week, this camp part of this campsite for a week. And they used to write on the chalkboard the night before what rides they were going to do. And someone would just organize a different ride each day. And one of my great friends that I'm still friends with now, I met when I was about 11 or 12 from there. Um, and like... It was so much fun and the parents felt safe with us going to do stuff because we're in this enclosed environment and uh, and everybody's super friendly and yeah it was brilliant that was that was some of my best cycling memories outside of racing that sounds really cool it's still on now and i'm actually considering taking sasha one year (laughs) and my friend's got a little girl she's um she's got a um a chromosome disorder uh, but she's got a trike and she can ride this trike and that family had trikes when we used to go and so they had a trike a tandem trike and an attachment so it made it like a triple tandem trike <laughs> and yeah it, it was just really fun it's just really fun to get out with people and kids and play outside and, and enjoy outside life basically yeah do you remember when you first started racing what was that like for you well, I'm really, really old. So when I first started racing, there weren't that many kids racing. And so um, in the area where I lived, there was me and my brother and Victoria Pendleton and her twin brother, Alex. And we always used to do all the grass track racing together. And it was literally four of us. <laughs> and when they handicapped it, it was just four of us. It was pretty, you know, pretty dull in the area. And girls racing, there was probably three or four riders Nicole Cook used to race against us quite a lot um people like that but and she was younger than me she was she's maybe three years younger than me but 
now I think it's so much more it's amazing when we did the Helen 100 the first time we had we paid for 130 women under the age of 16 girls under the age of 16 and in my day I couldn't even imagine 20 under 16 year olds at a national championship so it's, it was a very different time equally you could race against the boys um, and maybe you could be more successful because there was less of you but then again the competition was gold olympic medalist victoria penderson and olympic gold medalist nicole cook so you know the competition was still high at the top Mm -hmm. but um in terms of the numbers it was quite small but i went around a lot did a lot of racing um did things like the we had the english school cycling association i think it's called british schools now um lots of things like that but again it was it was quite small fields but it was fun it was still fun what year did you start the Helen 100? That was two seasons ago. I've done it for two seasons. And the season before was the last time I won nationals up in Northumberland. And after the race, that was the first year that they separated out the under 23 and juniors from the elite. And there was only maybe 20 elite women on the start line. And probably only four of them were capable of being in the top four you know it was pretty much well Nikki or Helen are going to win and then second and third is going to be a battle between and then these other riders and I kind of thought well I need I don't think that's right cross is such an amazing sport we need more women in the sport but I thought that just paying for women to ride in the elite category doesn't actually promote the sport you're just paying for women that can already afford to do it and have chosen to do it because they're adults you know yeah and so I thought well maybe if we try to grow the younger categories that more women might stay in the sport and it's actually really hard for um 14 to 18 is when girls leave sport basically and it's probably peer pressure I mean you're nearer that age than (laughs) than I am and there's probably a lot of peer pressure there's probably it's not so cool to do sports you know and there's other things that you're finding in your life and but I don't see why girls should leave the sport more than boys do because sport teaches you so many incredible things like it's not just about learning how mentally tough you are and things like that there's incredible social interactions you make amazing friends like my friend joe was saying from the cycling holiday and you also learn what you're capable of and you learn how to accept defeat as well as you do victory and so it's all these life lessons that you can take into a workplace in order to be successful there so for me i decided that i would pay for the i would try to raise money to pay for the entries for everyone in the under 16 the following year and we wanted 100 riders and yeah in the end we got extra money mm-hmm. and <laughs> we were able to support 130 women, uh, young girls. And yeah. And then again, we were able to do it again this year and we were able to put on the first ever international race for junior women in Belgium. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm 12, but I can already, okay. but I recognize in, even in my category, there are some people that drop out of racing halfway through the season and things like that. And I, I love racing and I, and I think it's, it is so sad that some people can like stay with cycling. So yeah. I think it's, I think it's really important and I really like the Helen 100. And do you, as you're 12, but do you see that your friends around you, do they love the the fact that you do cycling? Do they want to ride with you and things like that? I think my friends, but some of my friends actually do cycling. Some of my friends from school, okay. but I think a lot of them are interested, but they don't, that they still don't understand what cyclocross is. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think some of them would like to do some cycling with me, but I don't think they really. A lot of my friends are into different sports. 
So when do you think you realised you wanted to be an elite cyclist and you realised that you could be, you could have a career in it? Well, there wasn't any particular one moment where it was like, wow, this is it. I've made it. I don't think I ever really felt that. <laughs> Maybe when I got a world's medal. But then it wasn't, it was more about celebrating the medal than thinking, oh, I've made it kind of thing. But um, I trained as a physiotherapist and um, when I was at university, I took up cross because it was a sport that you didn't have to train as much as you did on the road. And um, it was in the winter and I was um, able to ride to my placements. And so from where I lived in just north of London. And so it was easy for me to actually fit training into commuting. And so my first World Cup, I got 14th. They weren't actually World Cups back then. It was 1999. And we didn't have our first World Cup until 2000. There were support races for the men's event. And I just kind of got saw this amazing new world that I didn't know anything about that someone asked me for my autograph and I was like whoa this is cool <laughs> and so I kind of thought well this is something I'd like to do but then I finished university and I worked for two years as a physiotherapist in Preston and then I finally won my first national trophy in uh it would be 2003 or 4 2004 I think um and at that point, Steph said, my husband said to me, oh, you know, if you want to give this a go, this is where most people go off and do a gap year when they're physiotherapists and then come back again. So it's the perfect time to give it a go and see what happens. And um, at the same time, yeah, it was 2004. So the Great Britain team needed riders for the road program to support their Olympic riders. And uh, Dave Meller, who was coming out with Rachel Heal at the time to the World Cup, said to me, oh, do you want to you know, see if you're any good. Um, and so I did. And I went from having done like 180 kilometer stage, uh, race in the UK to instantly to three days of Drentha, which is like 110k stages. And it was crazy, but it, it was really cool. It was loads of cobbles and stuff like that. And, uh, and it was really, really fun. Off the back of that, I did loads of stage racing and, and things like that. And then in the winter that year, I got two six and two sevens in the World Cup. So I'd gone from being like 20th by then because they were World Cups to really good and at that point it just kept going really and back then there wasn't as much money in the sport so it was a lot harder to actually make a career out of it than it is now and it wasn't until I went to Kona really that I was on a living wage um, and at that point so that was 2009 but now I would say that it's way better than road racing that there are riders on a hundred thousand euro contracts as women. Um, and in one of my most successful years, this is before we had equal prize money, which we've had for, um, in races outside the world cup, we've had for two years and in the world cup will be equal from this year. Um, and I made 23,000 euros one year in prize money. Wow. That's incredible. So it's kind of the sport was coming up. Um, I mean, I won, I think I won 16 races that year, but we didn't have equal prize money. So if we'd had equal prize money, then it would have been significantly more. Um, and for me, I kind of, it wasn't really about the money. It was more about doing something that I loved doing, doing something that made me happy every day and being successful at something. Um, and so that was the motivator, but equally you still have to live, you know, food isn't for free. <laughs> I think it really shows that you don't have to start really young with cycling and that you just got to enjoy it and you don't know how far you can go. I would agree. I think that education is really important because 
if you break a leg and you can never ride a bike again, or you can never race a bike competitively again, then what do you have if you don't have an education? Um, equally, not everybody's gifted in that way. And some people want to do other things, which is totally fine. But if you can, you shouldn't let your education slip in terms of the bike riding. And especially as a woman, because you can, um, you, you're actually stronger later in life. So my best years were between 30 and 34. And you look at riders like Emma Pooley, she didn't start racing internationally till she was 26 and she got an Olympic medal in the time trial. So, you know, and, and she had obviously an incredibly successful career too. So I think it's important when you're younger to have fun, to enjoy it, to make friends, to, you know, not put too much pressure on yourself because nobody's going to remember the under 14 national champion, but they will remember you when you've been a world champion in the elites. So, you know, it's good to, to obviously the element of competition is awesome, but it's good to enjoy it and keep it in perspective. Definitely. Yeah. Um, did you have a coach, like a cycling coach when you were younger and did you have one throughout your career? Well, no, when I was really young, I just used to go on cycling holidays with my parents all the time. And that was it basically. And then at weekends we'd ride and yeah, I remember one time it was raining really hard and I didn't want to do anymore and crying, riding up a hill and my mum riding past me going, oh, don't be so silly, Helen. <laughs> and those kind of things. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I did love riding my bike. We went on cycle touring holidays in the north of France and stuff like that. But there were days when I didn't want to and I just didn't if I didn't want to. And I didn't really get a coach. Well, I learned how to do some training when I was around 18 19 but I didn't really get a coach until I met Steph and Steph actually basically coached me my entire career and when I was around 30-ish we actually worked with a sports scientist who contacted us because he was doing a degree in a master's degree in cyclocross and pacing so he wanted to put power meters on our bikes and see whether our um uh, what we think we were pacing our race to be matched what the power data was and how to take that power data and put it into cyclocross training and things like that. And uh, he found out that it's actually really almost impossible to do <laughs> because one year you can ride a race and the next year you can ride the same race on exactly the same course because sometimes courses don't change at all and the power data is incredibly different. So, um, but he helped, he worked with us for the last probably five years of my career and, and he was brilliant, but he was a sports scientist. So you could just ask him questions and he'd come back with all these different bits of research and you just say, okay, just tell me the answer. Yes or no. <laughs> but yeah, he was brilliant for that. And then the rest of the time, Steph, just my husband just coached me and we coached each other together because you, you learn stuff about yourself. And uh, yeah, we coached each other together, coached me together. That's really cool. That we had our moments where it wasn't cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did you find it when you suddenly had to start racing nationally? Um, so when I first started racing nationally, um, I actually used to get really, really nervous before races. So I used to, I'd really find it hard. I'd have breakfast and quite often I'd just stick it up again. Um, and that was actually really tough to try and get your head around the idea that when you put everything in perspective, it's not that important. You know, it's more important that you're fueled than you are, than you're nervous about something. So that was probably when I was like 18 or 19. So quite, quite late on when I was younger, I didn't really get as nervous probably because like I said, there wasn't so many riders. So 
you turn up one year I did junior national mountain bike champs and there was three of us and my stem fell off and um, I had to just complete the lap holding the handlebars uh, sorry the, the end cap for the stems fell off so I had to hold the handlebars and hold the stem and finish the lap and I still got third I think I was about eight and a half minutes down so to get third in a national mountain bike championships now as a junior is a lot harder than that you wouldn't be able to do that so when I was younger it kind of didn't I didn't really feel the pressure as much it was only when you start I found when you start to win more you get more pressure on yourself from being successful and probably in Belgium because more people are watching you because you are more successful and at that point I was really lucky to have Steph who quite often deflected that from me and I remember the year that um, I won my first European championships and I just won Koppenberg the day before or two days before and everyone was like oh you must be the favorite and you know this would be make you really nervous and I actually just deflected it all to Nikki because she was really good at the time as well and I said well you know I've just won Koppenberg so I've had a good season so it doesn't really matter what happens next and um and then I went on and won in the sprint against Sana Van Passen so you know there are ways there are coping strategies Steph was really good with that and he helped me a lot to just say uh yeah, there's no pressure in this one just do your best do something that you're proud of and the result will come and the results did come when when you started riding abroad obviously you had Steph with you but did you have any other support from friends and family uh, my parents were very supportive they hoped we did everything that we wanted to do but we were pretty much a one-man band <laughs> um and then you find when you live in Belgium that people are quite keen to help you. And so we actually, I was out riding one day um, and I met a guy called Robbie and he used to race cyclocross and on a group ride. And he was actually the DS for one of the guys that lived in the house we were living in at the time. We lived in a shared house for um, about six years. And um, he said, oh, I used to do cross. Why don't I take you do some training? So I introduced him to Steph first and then said, you know, let's go do some stuff together. And we did. And, and he said, oh, I'll be your mechanic if you want. And so him and his friend Jürgen used to come to the races with me and Gabby. And Jürgen was Gabby's mechanic and Robbie was my mechanic. And so we've always had help like that. I mean, Patrick, who, um, who helped me a lot in the last six years, him and his wife came to a race in Neil. And um, he said, oh, I think it's amazing what you've been doing. I've seen you on television. And I just want to say um, thank you for all the things you're doing to progress women's cycling and all this kind of stuff. And then... In that race, it was literally just me and Steph. There was no one else there to help us. And to get from the start line to the pit, he wouldn't have been able to do it from the start of the race. And it was raining really hard. And he said, look, just give your kit to someone at the start line and like, don't worry about it. We'll find it afterwards. And uh, Patrick happened to be there. And so I said, oh, you know, do you think you could take this? And he said, yeah, no problem. And then I won the race. <laughs> and then when you're in a race in Belgium, you, know, you have to go into this podium tent. And they... Um, it's all like there's a bucket to wash and like the TV come in there and interview and stuff like that. And so he went from just speaking to us to being in this podium tent and he was just like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and so he, yeah, he helped us from then on. That was, I think that was 2013 or 14. He helped me from then to the end of my career. And also I'd had this other guy, Harry, um, who was basically like my Belgian dad. And him and his wife, Amelia, they, uh, they'd say things like, oh, should it be okay if you um, 
if you come to our house first and we give you some food and then you go to the race and then afterwards you can come back and have dinner with us and and Harry would come in the pits as well but Harry had um hip problems so he couldn't walk very far so he just literally came to the start line and then he'd come to the finish line and, and carry your clothes for you and stuff and so you do make amazing friends in in the sport and particularly um I think as a woman at that time I think people like Harry wanted to help those people that didn't have the whole Belgian support crew behind them because most Belgians have like mom, nan, granddad, you know, dad, brother, everybody. Sanakant's brother um, and her dad work in the pits for her and her brother does coaching with her and um, riding and her brother was amateur national champion in Belgium and her mum goes to the start line and you know and anybody else that they need is there whereas as a foreign person, you don't have that that luxury. Um, but we've always found really kind people that have wanted to be part of it, and I think they like the fact that British people are quite grateful for the for the help. Um, and yeah, they do it out of love and the fact that we're quite grateful, I guess. <laughs> I think it's really nice that all the people wanted to help you. Yeah, and I mean, as we got older, we had a, a young kid help us, um, Thomas, and he came and helped in the first year, the year that I won the second year European champion and, and I got a medal at Worlds. And he was so excited. He was 14. He looked about 18 at the time, but he was 14. And he was so excited by it all. And he worked with us for three, four years in the end. And he actually, watching him grow was really cool. Like he came from a lovely family and they were really supportive. But things like learning things that, that aren't not necessarily taught um, in a conventional family so you know we're going around the world right driving in the camper around to random places and we're not doing the usual route you know um, and so for him he came to a choice where he had to choose between becoming a lawyer in his studies or following um, media the stuff and he loved doing the media stuff he's doing a website with um, the, a website that's, that showcased the juniors junior boys and girls and stuff like that and uh, he was like, well, the media is my love, but being a lawyer is the sensible thing. And, and we were like, well, ultimately, you can come back to be the lawyer. Why don't you try your love? And he's now the um, point of contact for media and things like that for um, BKCP and all of those teams. So like, he's actually gone on to be really successful in the media side of things just because he's got people in his life telling him that, yeah, you know, you don't have to follow a traditional route <laughs> yeah what, what do you want to say Sasha <laughs> yeah what do you want to say hey how do you think you found it when when you started racing internationally because before you obviously raced with people you knew but then you had to go with racing with people that you didn't know from all over all over the world um, I think the thing is, wherever you race, you find people that you're racing with. So you're not necessarily winning, but you'll find people that you're competing with in that, that are the similar ability to you. And you start to learn who those riders are. Like me and Kirsten Wilde used to be in this, the laughing groups together on road races. And yeah, she's an incredible sprinter and she's won hundreds of things and also track omnium. It's kind of wherever you are at that point in time you race whoever those people are and that's how you learn who those people are and how they race. And yeah, I think, 
I don't, for me, it wasn't really any different because when I was young, I didn't really think about tactics that much. So I didn't really like learn who the riders were. It was only really when I went to Europe that I thought, okay, I've got to, I've got to learn from these people to know that I can do better. And they're going to teach me how to be better because I was already better than the people in the UK or as good as. Um, so how do I get better? Well, I learn what these guys are doing. So I think, uh, yeah, it I didn't really seem to be an issue for me, really. I mean, at the time, Louise Robinson had won, had got second in the first ever World Championships in 2000, and she was my competition. So we had incredible competition at the time in the UK in cyclocross. So it wasn't like, yeah, I could learn from them, obviously, but you've got to beat them. So you've got to learn the next level up <laughs> yeah. to be able to beat those that are slightly better than you. Yeah, I think there's always more that you can do. There's always another level. There is, but equally, it takes time to learn those things. You know, Louise actually said to me that cyclocross is an apprenticeship. And if you, um, you have to do your apprenticeship before you can actually get results. And it's so true because there are so many things to learn and there are so many conditions to learn and there are so many courses to learn and people and, and all these things that it's, it's not something you can learn overnight. That's for sure. Yeah. What do you think your favorite course is? Koppenberg. <laughs> Koppenberg Cross is my favorite because it's a super hard course. It was traditionally always muddy. And there's been one hot year, but traditionally it's always been muddy. And even when it finished downhill, I was still actually really good at it. And it's one of the biggest races in Belgium. You get a lot of love for having won it. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just a really cool race, really. The atmosphere is incredible, you know, the smells, the sounds, the beer, the burgers, the cigarette smoke, all these things. It's just, yeah, it's just an awesome, <laughs> awesome race. Bronze is really good for crashes, but they're changing that this year. So um, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, Koppenberg has changed the course. The old course, the downhill was epic on the old course, whereas this year, at this now, it's not quite so exciting, but it's still it's still it's just really that atmosphere and the fact that it's like it's a national holiday so everybody goes and yeah. everybody watches it on tv and and all those things so so this year Paro bay um, is hosting their first now race do you think that would have suited you um well actually um there used to be a women's tour de france called the grand boucle and it was only about seven days long and i did it one year with nicole cook um she was preparing for the olympics and she asked if our team could do it because british cycling had messed up and not put her team in basically and um it did a stage which went over the Arenberg and we rode it we then got in the car drove 20 kilometers and then started the stage again so I don't know I can't really remember why but for some reason and it was horrendous <laughs> I mean I like cobbles but it really was horrendous and Drenthe is cool because they have a lot more clinker than cobbles and Koppenberg's cool because it's not just the hill cobbles that are an important part the off-road part's just as important I did Tour of Flanders three times it's really hard it's really hard because you have to get to the front before every cobbled section and so do the other 180 riders in that race and so the level of fight is just something that you can't imagine really and until you've been in it um and I could do that for probably two or three sectors but then yeah it's just I've just lost the will to live really by that point so <laughs> so for me it wouldn't be I'd do it of course because it would be something cool to say you've done it but it wouldn't be something I would target I was planning to do Junior Paro Bay this year, but obviously I couldn't because of coronavirus. I think they also changed the date from when we were meant to be going to France. So yeah. it would be really nice if we could go next year, but obviously 
I've never ridden cobbles before, so I don't know how well it would go. Yeah. Um, the cool thing is, though, we did have a World Cup that was at the Roubaix Stadium, and it started unfinished on the track, and it went up the banks and all this kind of stuff, and they had it for two or three years. And we got to shower in the famous showers, and they're actually really, really cool. They've got, like, at the back of them, they've got, like, chains to, to pull for the shower to come on, like an old-school toilet chain. And every cubicle has a name of a Paris-Roubaix winner in. Oh, wow. And it, it's really cool. So I got changed in uh, Tom Boonen. That was pretty cool. And, I mean, it's freezing cold. The floor's stone concrete. Oh. And it's freezing cold. It was in January. And to get from the shower back to get changed was awful. But <laughs> it was still, like, it was just a really uh, iconic experience. And I really enjoyed that. So, yeah, I guess finishing the race would be cool. Where do you think your favourite place is to ride just for fun? I've been so lucky to ride all over the world. um, And I've been on so many training camps and things like that. And the one place, I love the Alps. I love the Pyrenees. I love anything that has hills, basically. Sierra Nevada was gorgeous. But the one place that holds a little bit of my heart is where my house is in the south of France. Because you just go out from the door and it's stunning. And... It's so quiet. There's no cars. You can ride for four hours and see the postman twice, you know, and it's got hills. It's got a little bit of flat. It's got, you can ride up to the mountains. I did a training camp in um, Font Rameau and then I rode home and it was only 80 kilometers and I was at 2,400 meters altitude. So like, it's just so, so beautiful there. And every single ride has something different. And I've never been to a place that has so much variety within such a small area. Um, but I guess like now, not being a pro bike rider and just being a mum that rides a bike, I would say that I miss going to the Alps, but I wouldn't want to live there. I miss my trips to America, but that's more because of the friends that I have over there. And I know I go, I'm going to France for two weeks for a holiday next week. And I know from the minute I go there to the minute I leave, I won't want to leave. So they're the things that I've probably miss more than racing I don't I don't know why it is it's just I, I, I really like the element of travel and new adventures and we used to do quite a lot of place-to-place rides so when we were driving somewhere I'd ride somewhere and Steph would pick me up and I'd do like four hours and they were the kind of fun adventure riding that that I really I love doing yeah so you mentioned about sort of living in different countries how how was it to sort of adjust it's an absolutely amazing experience and I think everybody everybody should give it a go because England's a really cool place but there are quirks to different countries that you only experience when you live there you don't experience when you go on holiday so the first first trip I took to Belgium and I wanted to go buy some things from the supermarket and it was Christmas Eve or Boxing Day I think it was Boxing Day and nothing was open and so we ended up going to this lunch garden which is like a cafe associated with a, a Carrefour supermarket and the only thing they had left was what looked like lasagna. So we're like, oh, that's cool. We'll just get some lasagna. And it was actually Whitloaf wrapped in ham. Whitloaf is like a, a kind of slimy lettuce that they cook. And it was wrapped in ham in this cheese sauce. And it was the grossest thing I've ever had in my whole life. It's just, you know, supermarkets shut at six o'clock back then. Nothing's open on a Sunday. The, but the bakers and things like that shut at lunch. You know, it's kind of just being engrossed in that environment. You're learning all these different things. But now when I went back to England for six months last year to try and live there, I struggled because everything seemed much faster pace. Everything's, you know, 24 hours. The culture's not what I'm used to anymore. And so I think being out 
I lived in Belgium, I've lived in France, I now live in Germany. I think being in all these different places just teaches you that cultural differences are something we should actually embrace because they have some really cool things that you might be missing out on if you don't get to experience it. Um, my friend at a cyclocross race, he went into like a small shop and he found loads of like cycling, cyclocross posters that you could get. It was so funny because cyclocross isn't very well known unless you're into cycling. You don't really know about cyclocross wherever in Belgium it's such a popular thing it is it is it really is I've been in supermarkets and people have come up to me and said oh, I'll actually come into the supermarket specifically to talk to me because they might have seen the team car outside or something and tell me I had a bad result or I had a good result <laughs> or something like that and now all the races for women are live on television I went to my gym and they'd just changed ownership and the guy was like oh I recognise you I saw you on the TV oh you need to make your elbows more pointy because you're in Vishkur and she was bullying you and you're like this is cool. This is actually amazing that you've watched the race, you've seen things, you recognize me and yeah, you know who the other riders are. And so it is a completely different world in Belgium for sure. So you mentioned earlier about how important your education is. If you don't want me asking, how did you do with your GCSEs? And do you think that helped you in any way when you moved? Um, okay. So I think now it's a really long time ago. Okay. So I think I got two A's five B's and two C's I'm gonna say and my C's were in PE and French and my A's were in maths and history maybe or English one of the two and I went on to do three A levels in um, biology chemistry and um, sports science so PE was like you had a physical examination a physical test whereas sports science is all practical is all um, written stuff I got an A in sports science a B in biology and a C in chemistry and I scraped the C in chemistry mm -hmm. at A level because my friend helped me basically and she did a project with me which meant we got A star um, which dragged my grade up to a C I remember retaking one of the modules on my chemistry and I got one mark more because <laughs> I was terrible at chemistry but I wanted to do medicine at the time so that's something that was essential and my friend actually went on um, she's now a doctorate. She got a doctorate and she is doing research into the breast cancer gene at Cambridge University. So that's how smart she was. Um, and I then went on to university to do physiotherapy and yeah, I got a Bachelor of Honours. I think it's like, I can't even remember how they grade them now, but it's, I got a 2-1. So whatever that works out as a, so just a degree. I think that I actually took German at GCSE. I'm terrible at German. <laughs> I took French at uh, French and I, I got a C in French, but my conversational French is pretty good. Um, my written French is appalling. And I taught myself Dutch by watching it, watching English TV channels with subtitles and by listening to adverts. And in 12 years, I learned enough that I could do interviews in Dutch. People were able to understand. It was kind of, it's kind of like when you sometimes hear a person from another country speaking English you know it's they don't have the right tenses quite a lot and things like that and so that's how my Dutch is but I've done long interviews on television and people have said things to me afterwards about how oh yeah I totally agree with what you're saying so they must have understood and uh, I think that it's really important to get the GCSEs to show that you can learn um, I think if you're into education I think it's really important to get the A-levels because obviously then you can't do the university stuff if you don't have that but if you're not then NVQs are brilliant apprenticeships 
are brilliant that there's something for everyone and just because one person has gone on to do research in the breast cancer gene doesn't mean everybody can or wants to and so to find what you're good at and to find what you like is really important but I do think it's important that you get your GCSEs and whatever the next education step is because you need to show that you're learning basically and you're capable of learning yeah definitely do you think you could actually give us a bit of Dutch yeah so uh our whole is how are you um and you can say ik ben hood which is i'm good uh ik ben slecht which is i'm bad you could say ik heb koppenberg vier keer gewonnen which is i have won koppenberg four times uh ik ben helen wyman ik ben a wheelinster ik hou van mud which means i love mud <laughs> the written language is very similar between German and Dutch, but when they speak it, it's really different. So, Rauken and Rauken is to smoke, and it's spelled pretty much the same in Dutch and German, but it's pronounced different. Yeah. And they do have certain different words. So, quite often here, people will speak to me in German, and then I'll go to reply in Dutch, which is really annoying. <laughs> but I can understand a lot of conversation because of my Dutch. Yeah. So, what advice do you think you would give to somebody who was I'm looking to race nationally. I would say enjoy it. And I would also say that put around you people that are good at what they do. So as you develop as a rider, you'll require more things to get better. So um, I had a fantastic sports nutritionist I worked with in the last three, three years of my career, four years of my career. I had an amazing sports scientist I worked with. I wholeheartedly trust Steph with my entire life and you know obviously we were married we've been married 16 years now but we were married and so he was as invested in me as I was because every success I had affected him too and the same with every time it didn't work out affected him too so I would say that trust the people around you but listen to advice and learn and decide whether that advice is right for you and take it on board but the first thing you have to do is listen because if you don't listen you'll never learn exactly yeah i think that's really good advice i like to go from being an elite cyclist to then becoming a mum of a baby boy so i actually retired because i didn't feel i was competitive anymore so um the last season that i raced the two seasons before i had two world cup podiums and i won Koppenberg. i think i won five races that year and i won nationals but the next season it was so fast and dry and I just felt that this new generation of super skilled fast riders were coming through like Celine, like uh, Amory Warst, people like that, that I didn't feel I could compete with them in the same level. And so I didn't want to be remembered as someone that was good once. I wanted to be remembered as the person that was good the previous year. You know, I wanted people to say, oh yeah, she's retired now, but she won Koppenberg last year. Whereas if you last three or four years after that, people don't say that anymore. They just say, yeah, they were good once. And it wasn't actually until June of last year that I decided that me and Steph had a conversation about having children. So one of my heroes in sport was Hanka Kupfernagel. And she was a, um, I think she was six times world cyclocross champion. And she was time trial world champion. And she announced that she was having a baby and she was 44. And I was like, well, maybe... I'm 38, maybe 38 isn't too old. And so, yeah, biggest mistake of our life, wasn't it, boy? <laughs> no. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I'd already retired. I'd already made the decision to retire. And then it was a couple of months later that I was like, well, actually, what about, you know, let's see what happens kind of thing. And then this happened. This little monkey happened. And he's amazing. He is amazing. He's very needy. He likes to be touched like 99% of the day. 
but he is a gorgeous little thing and when they smile at you it's something extra special I would say that it's cool and I think that as with everything in life I think our life has shown that there's not one set pathway and you know what what's right for one person isn't right for another and it might be right to have a kid my my nephew whose mum is my age was one of my best friends at school just turned 18 <laughs> and so you can see there's two completely different lives and yeah you know he could have a kid and it'd be the same age as Sasha so I think basically you don't have to follow the same path as everyone else mm. you find what's right for you and enjoy it enjoy the life you've had and I do hope that the life experience and the things that we've had we've got enough to pass on to Sasha to to teach him the same same thing basically at the minute he cries in uh, English so the year is 2021 <laughs> You're massive. You can yeah. be there on the start line. Well, so I said to Hanko she should do them. And she said that I should do them. So maybe me, Nikki and Hanko can have a three-way battle in the... Uh, I don't... Nikki won't be over 40s, but... Oh no, baby's having a meltdown. Me and Hanko can have a battle in the over 40s race. Um, I think at the minute, I'm riding my bike a couple of times a week and that's really not enough to actually be competitive, even as a Masters. I think it would be fun because that's where I first won the European Championships, but I also think that um, it would depend entirely on what's going on in my life. I think we'd all love to see that, like a surprise that we didn't know we were going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> there is actually something. So I want to do um, a couple of Zoom talks on um, on cyclocross for young girls and because of covid it's much harder to do cross clinics obviously it's particularly in the uk and europe is getting a bit better but i want to put together a zoom talk where i show some skill and people can ask questions and things like that and i also want to do one where people send in videos of what they're doing and i can give them advice do you think that's something that someone of your age would be interested in i think definitely i think a lot of people like from my cycling club or from my era i think they'd really like that who do you think your favorite cyclist is at the moment i always used to love racing against sanakant because she's so smart when she races she really thinks about things and how to beat you and where to beat you and i really loved that but i think the most exciting racing Racers right now are Amory Warston, Celine Del Calman Alvarado, and watching their battles this year have just been the most. I mean, the World Championships, even I was calling it and I was like, well, Amory Warston's got this because she always comes around Celine. And Celine was just put everything in, and it was, you did not know who was going to win that until they crossed the line. And that's, and I admire that because that makes such exciting racing that people want to watch our sport, and it means. That's the reason why um, the viewing figures in Belgium, the women have actually overtaken the men in terms of numbers this season. Epic, wasn't it? And yeah. you'd watch and you'd see like, oh, Celine's better here. She needs to attack here. And like in uh, Coxider, where she went around everybody just on the Niels Albert June on the last June before the finish line. And, and I was like, someone, whoever gets in there first has got to do it. And no laps before did she do it. But she was so smart to think. And in the training, I was watching on the course so I could do better commentary. And in the training, I'd seen that she actually was the only rider to ride that section and none of the other women had. And in the race, she didn't do it and didn't do it. And then that last lap came and she did it. And it was like, oh, OK, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think your favourite all-time cyclist is? I've always admired Mariana Voss. Um, I think what Beryl Burton did for the sport was incredible. Um, but still, my uh, I've got a bit of a, of a speed crush on uh, Hanka Kupfernagel, for sure. She was just the shiniest and... 
she's just amazing. She really is an amazing, incredible bike rider at a time, even before I was racing, that was just women's sport was so small and, and yet she was, she was well ahead of her time, basically. So if you have like five minutes before a race, what song do you think you'd listen to to get yourself ready? When I first uh, started having a playlist, my, uh, my final song was Eminem, the one, Lose Yourself in the Music. Don't ever let it go, that one. Um, and then I think that's from 8 Mile. Um, but by the end of my career, the last one I had was actually the Commonwealth song by Gary Barlow just because it's kind of like, it's quite upbeat and it's quite like, no matter what, you've got this kind of thing. But the ones before that, um, I had Imagine Dragons with um, the one where the teddy bears are dancing and uh, uh, fighting in the movie. In the thing, it goes, I can't, I'm terrible with song names. Um, but yeah, I have, I had a lot of songs that had words that meant something and, and they all had to be an upbeat, obviously, but rather than just like dance music or something like that. Um, I, in a, so for me in lockdown, I've actually had a really good experience because Sasha was born just at the beginning of lockdown in Germany. And apart from the fact that he hasn't seen any of his family, which makes me really, really sad because his grandparents haven't got to meet him. I think it was one of the best things because we actually got time to learn about each other and to, to experience all those new baby things, which sometimes get interrupted by people wanting to come and visit and and spend time with the baby themselves and okay no, there fine we only use the audio it's fine yeah. okay yeah, um, a and so for me it's actually been quite a good experience but here in germany they've they shut things down really quickly and then they've gradually reopened things again and it's actually uh it's actually worked out pretty good you know um Kids are back playing sports in groups um, and um, the shops are open, the swimming pool, outdoor swimming pools are open, um, things, everything is kind of back to normal. So just everybody wears a mask whenever they're in any public places. So yeah, and then we had a midwife that came to visit us 15 times in the first two months. So we were incredibly lucky and I know that service wasn't available in other countries. So for us, it's kind of been a small blessing with obviously the sadness that he, Sasha hasn't met his grandparents. But I know for a lot of people, it's been terrible. And, you know, it hasn't affected Steph's job at all, which is really fortunate. It will have affected the commentary stuff because I'm sure if Cyclocross does go ahead, I don't know if Red Bull TV will be able to, to cover it like they did last year. So that could affect my ability to work for sure. And I know the people that I coach, it's incredibly hard at times for them because they don't, know even though they're cyclocross riders they don't know when their next objective is actually going to be and they don't it's really hard to work for a goal that you don't know when it is yeah so I really feel for anyone that's got big objectives this season and, and either hasn't been able to do them like road racing or doesn't know if they're still going to be able to do them like cyclocross final question Helen what does the future hold for Helen Wyman oh what does the future hold wow I don't know uh I don't know Sasha what does the future hold for us I think I hope I hope it holds more tv commentary because I loved I really genuinely loved every minute of it and people said oh they enjoyed listening to me so that's good that's a bonus I really enjoyed working with the team last year 
but that was really quite intense because I did every training camp with them and for them and we'd had we worked with a nutritionist so every single thing they ate on their training camp once a month last summer was prescribed to them and um, every bit of training I did one of those efforts with every rider so like I was training as hard as I was basically as an elite rider so but I really really enjoyed that experience and even in December in the training camp um when I was must have been around six months pregnant then I had the e-bike um that I have from Ribble and I was still able to do some of the efforts with the girls on the hills because the e-bike would assist 300 watts up to 26k an hour so I was motor pacing them doing some efforts and that's really cool but it is really intense and you can't really do that with a baby because obviously someone has to look after the child while you're out riding that isn't necessarily something I can do I love doing I like doing the coaching I like I love doing cross clinics so like the coaching days where you get groups together and I particularly like working with people that don't have massive experience because I feel they're the biggest ones that can learn in such a short period of time what if they're on their own could probably take them two years to learn so I really like that so I think the future holds hopefully commentary hopefully cross clinics and hopefully yeah coaching thank you so much for being on today Helen the future of cycling is all brighter for all of us women and men thanks to you well thank you very much for having me and apologies for Sasha's grumpiness (laughs) It's, it's totally fine it's so sweet And thank you to all the listeners. They can check out our Instagram at cycling.talk.podcast and they can find Cycling Talk Podcast on Spotify and Acast. See you on the bike.